Lord Jesus, I need you. You guys say that out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Would you speak to me now? Would you help me to understand more of you? Amen. Okay, you guys can sit down. Guys, let me tell you where we're at. We're going through the book of Acts. This has been an exciting study, and we've got a smaller group of people here tonight, so maybe we can have a little bit more interaction. But I think we'll start by looking at Acts chapter 1, um, just to remind you of where Jesus said we were going to head as we go through this study of Acts, written by Dr. Luke, this account of what the Holy Spirit of Jesus did through his apostles after he stepped off this planet. And Aaron is right there, and he's got Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, he'll let you use one. And if you want one to own, you can take one of those, or you can tell me, and we'll go to Mardell's and buy you one. Okay, Acts 1, verse 8. This is a little bit of review, but Jesus says in Acts 8, 1, 8, he tells kind of his plan for building his kingdom. He's got a plan to build a kingdom on this planet. That means he plans to be the ultimate king, the ultimate authority for everything that happens on this planet. And the way that he does it is amazing. The smartest man who ever lived was who? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the smartest man who ever lived. And he had a plan. He's had more influence on things that have happened on this planet than any other person. Guaranteed. What's that? All time. That's right. So Jesus' plan for building this kingdom was this. He says in verse what he's in verse four, he says, "Don't leave Jerusalem." This is what he says first: "Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the for the gift my father promised." Okay, does he mean that they're not going to leave Jerusalem at all? No, he's saying, "Don't leave Jerusalem until something happens." And this thing happens about ten days after Jesus steps off this planet, and he tells a little bit more about how that's going to happen in verse. Eight, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's the plan. That's the plan. That's the strategy, or the, that's the, the plan of how this kingdom is going to be built. You guys are going to wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, then you're going to start right here in Jerusalem, and then you're going to move on to Judea and Samaria, which is the equivalent of Dallas-Fort Worth. And then from that, you guys are going to go to the whole world. And then he steps off this planet. See you guys soon. It's been a while, but he's coming back. And he's waiting for us to accomplish the task that he gave us when he left. And we're working on it. That's why you guys are here in this room. We're not just reading about stuff that happened a long time ago. We're a part of being trained to carry out this great commission that Jesus gave us when he left. I'm excited about that. So, what, we, what, what Jesus said was going to happen actually happened. They go back, they wait in Jerusalem, and while they're waiting, they pray, they pray, they pray, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power about 10 days later. And that day, Peter stands up with the power of the Holy Spirit upon him, and he speaks to the crowds, millions of people who have come to Jerusalem from all over the place, and he stands up, and that day, 3,000 people say, I want that. I want what you got. And in one day, the church grows from 120 people to about 3,000 people. And then it grows and grows and grows and grows. But they stay in Jerusalem until, you guys remember what got them out of Jerusalem? What caused them to finally leave Jerusalem? Because Jesus didn't say stay in Jerusalem after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He says stay in Jerusalem, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you're going to be my witnesses in other places. But they stay in Jerusalem until what happens? 
until persecution happens. And when persecution happens, even as bad as that is, God uses that persecution to cause the Christians who run everywhere they go, they proclaim the name of Jesus, and there's people who come to know Jesus all over Judea and Samaria. We've been reading about that. But Jesus didn't say stop in Judea and Samaria. He didn't say just stop in Fort Worth and Dallas. He's got a plan for the whole world is what he says. And so what we're going to see here is how they move from that, that category or that chapter of Judea and Samaria to the rest of the world. But there's a huge issue that is going on in the church during those years. And as you read the New Testament, you're not going to understand what so much of the New Testament is about unless you understand what the issue is that the church is facing. So what's the biggest, let me ask you guys. You guys are reading the Bible every day. As you read the Bible, as you read the New Testament, what is the biggest issue facing the church in the New Testament? Both in the book of Acts and also in the letters, the letters that are written after this. What's the big issue? Well, there is, there is persecution, but that's not that's not an issue. That, that's an issue from outside. But what's the issue that that the Christians within the Church of Jesus are trying to figure out? Yeah. Whether the, that's right, whether those people that don't act like us, who don't have the culture that we do, and don't do worship like we do, if they can be a part of this, okay, that's the big question. Can people who aren't Jews be saved? That's the big question all through the New Testament. And do those people, if they're not Jews, do they have to become Jews in order to be saved? That's a big cultural clash that's happened. So, we're gonna, so right now, we're kind of tr- opening a new chapter as we go into chapter 10 of this book. There's this. There's something that happens in chapter 10 that is going to answer this question of whether people need to become Jews and act like Jews and wear hats like Jews and dress like Jews and eat food like Jews to be able to be saved. Okay. To understand this, to understand what's happening, we're going to give a little more history, okay? And this is history that you guys already know if you've been reading the Bible. But think think about this. Genesis 1, you guys know what the book of Genesis, right? First book in the Bible. The book of beginnings. Genesis 1, chapter 1, through Genesis chapter 11 is, can anybody give us a summary of what that's about? Genesis 1 through Genesis 11 is, is what? Yeah, so, so humanity, God makes, God creates this world, he puts people in this world, and the, hum, the humanity abandons him. They, they rebel against him. And so chapter 1 of Genesis, chapter 11, is really about the rebellion of, of humanity and God's response to that to the point where God confuses the languages of the people so that they cannot work together and, they, and so that they will be scattered across the world. So that they will never find unity in anything in humanity apart from him. That the only way that uni- unity is going to be found is through Jesus. That's God's plan. So God, at that time, he scatters them across the planet. And there's this interesting verse in Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, that says when the Most High, when God parceled out all the people, like you guys go there and you guys go there and you guys go there, that he set up the boundaries of the peoples, of the people groups, the different ethnicities, according to 
really interesting verse, and you got to read it in the, De- in the Dead Sea Scrolls translation, the way, that it, the way that it originally was, because people didn't understand this. It was translated into di- different ways. But the way that it says it is according to the number of the sons of God. Well, what's that? People didn't know what that was. They, 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 some of the versions say something different. But the way that God divided up the people is basically he said, you want to abandon me? You guys go your own way, and I'm going to let you be under the domain of lesser gods, of lesser deities. And so all around the world, people have worshipped deities, worshipped um, deities that have been less than God, but God didn't give up on them. So chapter 12 of Genesis, what happens in chapter 12 of Genesis is he, he's got a plan to call a man who will start a people group that will be specifically used by God for the purpose of bringing the, wor- the world to him. So, guys, let's, let's look at this. So, Genesis 12. Genesis 12, this is what he says to Abraham. When he calls Abraham, he says, I will. You guys got your Bibles? Look at this. This is important. You can put it up here, too, if you want. Um, I will make you into a great nation. He's talking to who? Abraham. And what's the great nation that he's going to make him into? Israel. I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. That's his purpose for Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And here's the promise. And all those people groups that I just divided and spread out all over the world, all the people groups of the world are going to be blessed because of you, through you. That was God's plan for Abraham and the Jewish people. That was his plan. And so I want you guys to see how this was. Kind of just, just the way that God did it, just think about this. The way God did it is he set up a system in the Old Testament. You guys ever read through Leviticus? You're like, what, what part of the Leviticus applies to me? What part of Deuteronomy applies to me? And, and there's, a, there's a lot of times when people are reading through those first, the, well, after Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they get confused. Guys, there is a specific calling on the people of Israel that doesn't necessarily apply to all of you. And here, here's, what, here's the way it describes this. There is a system of, priest, of, of priesthood in those books where you've got a high priest, okay? You've got a high priest, and that priest is a mediator between God and People, but specifically, there was there, he was the representative of the priests. So you got all these priests. We're just going to put P's here, okay? Sorry, this is such a small whiteboard, but you got so he's the mediator who's standing before God, of course, on behalf of the people too, but represented all these priests. And the priests were all from the tribe of Levi, like my genes. No, these aren't Levi's. Um, <laughs> Now, these priests, what were the priest's job? If the high priest represented all the people before God, then what were all these priests' jobs? They, 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 they represented the people of Israel, okay? So you got, you got Israeli, you, you know, Jewish, let's put J for Jew. J, 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 like this. So you got all these Jewish people who, are, who, who have priests who represent them before God. You guys understand this, okay? Now, what God's plan was is that, so God had a plan where this high priest would be representative of all, these, all the people, but specifically the priest. He had a plan that the priest would be representative of the people of Israel. But, his, but what, what sometimes some of us miss is that the, the nation of Israel, the people of, of Israel, the Jewish people, were to be, a, to be priests of the people of the world. 
Well, I don't know what letters. We'll put world. Okay, so these are all the people of the world were, were to have Israel. Israel was to be the representative of the people before God. That they were, they were to be the ones who brought humanity and God back together. Okay, so the way that the, God's plan for the world was only going to work if the Jews did their job. If the Jewish system worked, then the people of the world, all those ethnicities that had been scattered in Genesis 11, they were going to be able to experience salvation. They were going to experience what God had planned. The, the world was going to experience the renewal that God had intended. But if the Jewish people did not do their job, then there was no hope. Tough situation. So the question is, did the Jewish people do their job? They didn't do it. They didn't, they didn't do, they didn't, they thought that God had called them because they were special. Now they were special, because they were special because they had a job to do, just like you're special. I'm so special. I know that we like to think that way, right? We like to think, well, God loves me because I'm me. God loves you because you're, because he made you, but he has a, you are, you have a special purpose in God's kingdom to be, have a priestly ministry to the people of the world. Okay? So the Jews forgot that. And because they forgot it, God said in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, he's like, if you guys forget what you're supposed to do and you abandon me and you get all selfish, you know what I'm going to do to you? I'm going to scatter you all around the world. Guess what? That happened. 722 B.C., the ten tribes of the northern kingdom fall to the Assyrians, bye-bye, scattered all over the place. 586 B.C., the tribes in the south, they get beaten by the king of Babylon, bye-bye, they're out of there. A few of them come back 70 years later because God's got a plan for that group of people, but most of them were scattered around the world until when? Until 1948, huge, open, say it again. 1948 A.D., that's right, like, like 70, 72 years ago, 71 years ago, was when the, the, the Jews were, were welcomed back into the land. Some of them, some of them had been trickling in for the, for, since about 1901, but they came, they started, they, they declared independence, and the, the majority of them have come back into the land in the past 30 years or so. It's Jews that were scattered all over the world came back the land of Israel, okay? So there's a plan in that too, and we'll talk more about that when we talk about prophecy. But what I want you guys to see is that God's plan in all of this was that the people of the world would experience his salvation because of the Jewish people, okay? But here's the, here's the great news. God had a plan, even though they abandoned him. God had a plan that was bigger there was a secret plan that nobody could have imagined. Not even the angels and the demons who were watching this whole drama play out could have they imagined. And I want you guys to see this in Romans 3.21. Okay, Romans 3.21. So the, 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 the job that the Jewish people have been given didn't pan out. But in Romans 3.21, I hope this excites you guys. Romans 3.21 says this. But now, so... Old Testament summary. How did righteousness happen in the Old Testament covenant? Remember, covenant means agreement or contract. The contract between humanity and the, between God and the Jewish people 
they were going to experience righteousness based on what? Say it again. Offerings, sacrifices, obey the rules. Okay, can you guys think of any verse? Okay, before we go to Romans 3.21, can you think of any verse in the Old Testament that summarizes the Old Testament contract? Joshua 1.9, I have not commanded you. Love the Lord your God. That's, that's, that's the greatest command. Okay, here, here. It's, it's close. It's the same chapter. Deuteronomy 6.25. Guys, look at Deuteronomy 6.25 because I want to give you a summary verse for what the Old Testament teaches. Summary verse for what the Old Testament was teaching, that the righteousness of humanity would be dependent on the Jews, and the Jewish's, Jewish people's righteousness would be dependent on their performance. Somebody read. Somebody read super loud. Deuteronomy 6.25. has commanded us that will be our righteousness I'm gonna read that again I messed that up and if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us that will be our righteousness you guys get it so how, where does righteousness come from according to the Old Testament obeying how much of God's law all of it so if you guys get a hundred percent score in obeying God's law then you'll be righteous, righteous, and you can fulfill the, the duty of the priesthood, and the people of the world will be saved. And it didn't work. It looked, bad, it looked like a bad situation, but the secret plan of God that, we, that is here in Romans 3.21, I want you guys to read this. Somebody else read Romans 3.21. Okay, keep going. Okay, right there in Romans 3.21, I would write a little note saying Deuteronomy 6.25. And in Deuteronomy 6.25, I would write a little note saying Romans 3.21. Because Deuteronomy 6.25 said, righteousness comes through obeying to get a uh, perfect score on law abiding. Romans 3.21, Romans 3 is about the is talking about that we that we haven't been perfect. Romans 3.21 says, there is a righteousness that is available apart from following the law. And that's Jesus. That's what the New Testament is about. So these are two verses that summarize all the New Testament. You guys with me? Okay. So what does this all have to do with the book of Acts? Okay. So here we are in Acts chapter 10. And we're going to fly through this. But in chapter 10 of Acts, up until chapter 9, where we've been going, we've been studying the book of Acts, until now, all of the people who have been a part of the church of Jesus have been Jews. Either Jews or people who have become Jews. Sure, they're scattered all over the place. They've come to Jerusalem. They speak different language. But as far as their identity, they're Jewish people. You guys with me? Okay. And now in chapter 10, the question of whether people can be saved without being Jewish is going to be answered. So, so chapter 10 answers that question definitively. Okay, chapter 10. We're going to read through this super quick. Okay, it's a great story. It is an exciting story. 
I'm going to try to read it super quick. Okay. At Caesarea. Actually, let me show you guys Caesarea. Can you, can you throw the picture of Caesarea up there? Okay, I already lied. I'm not going quick. But show, show the picture of Caesarea. Here we are with some cornerstoners on the beach at Caesarea. Come on, come on. There we go. So that's, that's what Caesarea looks like, okay? Actually, Caesarea is just down the beach a little bit there. It's just a little bit north. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. So this guy is not a Jew, okay? He's not a Jew. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. And he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Why, here I want you guys to think, why was he and his family devout and God-fearing? And why did he give generously to those people in need? What was his motivation? He wasn't a Jew. He's an Italian, that's right. He ate pizza for lunch. Spaghetti. He, but why did he fear God? What's that? Jesus. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, God is working in this guy's heart. Is this, does this guy understand who Jesus is? Not yet. Not yet. We're gonna find Here's a guy who's not a Jew. He, might, he, probably, he, probably, he heard of Jesus. In fact, Peter tells him a little bit that, he, that this guy's heard of Jesus. But he doesn't understand who Jesus is exactly. But God is working in his heart. Here's what I want you guys to understand is that there are people out there who are like Cornelius who are doing good. In fact, if they have a motivation to do good, that comes from God. It comes from God. Nobody does good apart from God. Well, does that mean they all know God? No, not necessarily. But if they love truth and righteousness and goodness, and God is truth and righteousness and goodness, who are they loving? Do you guys hear me? Do they understand it's him? They don't understand. But it's, I think... What, what, what we ought to settle in our minds is that it is impossible to do anything really good apart from God's work in our lives. And therefore, when we see people who are not full-on believers yet doing good, you know why they're doing that? Because God's at work in their life. That's exciting. In other words, God is doing a lot in people's lives who you might not believe that, they are, that they're really a part of what God's plan is. One day, so look at what God does in response to this guy. This guy's got faith, right? I mean, he's doing good because he has some faith. What is his faith in? I don't know. It's not perfect faith. He's not even sure what, what his faith is in. But one day, about three in the afternoon, God responds to him in a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God in, who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius said to him in fear, what is it, Lord? What is it, Master? He asked, and the angel said, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Is this cool or what? I thought all of our good deeds were like filthy rags. I thought we can't do anything to impress God. Well, when it comes to salvation, there's nothing we can do to be good enough to earn salvation. But you know what? God is impressed with people who have the attitude of Cornelius. It matters to God. So the angel says to Cornelius, now send men to Joppa to bring a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. It's interesting that Peter's staying with Simon the Tanner. What do you think a tanner's house smells like? It smells, it smells like dead animals, okay? When the, when, the, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier with, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. How many people did he send to Joppa? Three. He sent us three to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, why don't you put that map up here? 
Okay, here they are. Google, Google Maps says it's an 11, 11-hour, 10-minute walk. So they must have stopped. It was, it was in the afternoon when they started going, so they had to stop and sleep in Netanya and then down to Joppa. So about 3 in the afternoon, oh, about noon the following day, as they were, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter, who's staying with Simon the Tanner in Joppa, goes up on the roof to pray. He becomes hungry. He's like, man, I should have planned better. And he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. I'm interested. We could talk lots about what that means. But so he, he was, whether he was awake or asleep, God was working through some type of prophetic vision that he was having. He saw, and this is what he saw in, his, in this vision. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, I remember, he's hungry, right? He's hungry, and the voice says, Peter, there's your, there's your lunch. Kill and eat. And Peter's like, no way, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. In other words, what's in this sheet are animals that Jewish people don't eat. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Guys, that's worth underlining. How are people cleansed of their sins? God makes them clean. Just this is a little bit of a side note, but how many times do we consider people impure that God has forgiven by the blood of Jesus on the cross? And we better not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up into heaven. Well, Peter was wondering about what's that all about? That was a weird vision. Like you ever had a weird dream? People people seem to like tell me their dreams like I'm some like, oh, that means that you had I don't Okay. Never mind, I won't tell you those weird dreams. Okay, well, Peter was wondering about the meaning of the visions. The, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, and they stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Well, Peter was still thinking about the vision. The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So go. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, because I've sent them. So Peter's ready. You guys, I think we should expect this kind of thing. Wherever you're going this summer, in our, in our lead team meeting, um, just now, we, talked, we went around the room and we talked about what we're doing this summer. People are going all over the place. As you're going, expect that the Spirit is going to say, that's your man. Go with him. Talk to him. The Spirit is leading because people are searching. So Peter went down and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What, what's up? Where have you come? The man replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. He's a good guy. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And I just, I expect that in places where you guys are going this summer, there's going to be people who's got, who have, whose hearts have been prepared by God to hear what you have to say. So get ready. Get ready, guys. So Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. His guest is not his house, but he invited him anyway. The next day, Peter started out with them. So they stay one night, and the next day, they, they start out along with some of the brothers from Joppa. The following day, they arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Think about this. Cornelius is excited. God's been working his heart. 
and something's happened, and he's like, okay, Uncle Bob, you got to come over tomorrow. He's calling people to come to his house. We're going to eat, and then there's a guy coming, and he's going to tell us what's up. He's excited. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. So Cornelius like, wow, this guy, this holy man of God is in my house, and he, he gets down on his knees in front of him. But Peter's, Peter says, stand up. I'm just like you. I'm nothing special. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. It's like he's got, he's got all his relatives there, and they're ready. They got their notepads out and their voice recorders, and they're going to listen to what he's got to say. He said to them, you are well aware. This is, now this is Peter's message. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. In other words, there's, there's historic incident happening here. Well, the, this guy, Peter, who's a Jew, is stepping into a Gentile's home. This is not supposed to happen. But something, the walls are broken down because of Jesus. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Amen. So when I, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. And can you tell me why I'm here? What's up? Cornelius answered, and he explains what happened. Four days ago, I was in my house praying at 3 in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Jop for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. We're ready. Talk about ready hearts. God's been working. Where are we? Cornelius, growing up probably in Italy, growing up there, has all these experiences. God's been preparing his heart, leading him. God's been speaking to him. Cornelius has been listening, but he doesn't understand it's the voice of God. And now he gets to experience something he's never experienced before. Then Peter began to speak. Listen to Peter's message. I now know how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Amen. No more. You're in and you're out. In other words, Jesus loves all people. He died for all people. 1 John 2.2. 2. God doesn't show favoritism, but accepts men from every ethnicity who fear him and do what is right. No matter what their background is, no matter what their language is. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened. In the words of Cornelius, you, you've heard about Jesus. Beginning in Galilee, Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. In the words of Cornelius, every, you know, everybody's heard about Jesus. You know, this was not something that was kept in, in secret. People knew about what Jesus had done. That's, why, that's how this little group of people, 12 people, changed the world. The people heard about it. Verse 39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be caused him to be seen. And he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen 500 at one time, but by us, those who ate and drank with him after, in other words, not everybody saw him, but those people who had put their trust in him already, who were his friends, they, they saw him. The other people didn't have to. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. The, word is, the ultimate judge, the ultimate ruler is Jesus. 
Not you, Mr. Cornelius, Peter says. Not Caesar. The ultimate judge is Jesus. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he's the judge of the living dead. All the prophets, verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. How do you, get, how do you receive righteousness? We just read about in Deuteronomy 6.25, by obeying all the law. Nope, that didn't work. You know how you receive righteousness? The righteousness of Jesus is given to you. That's the only way. If Jesus' righteousness is not given to you, you can never be good enough to walk in God's presence. But because Jesus' righteousness is being offered to everybody in this room and everybody not in this room, anybody who's willing to trust in that gets forgiveness of sins. Guys, let me, let me just say to you, your sins, all the selfish things you did this week, all the selfish things you thought, all the, all the, way that you, all the things that you took, what didn't belong to you, it's all forgiven. All of it is nailed to the cross of Jesus, and you are free. Cornelius and his family, they hear this. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, that means the Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were freaked out that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. Holy Spirit power poured out on these people who they thought were untouchable. The Holy Spirit pours out on them. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentile people. Guys, this is huge. Up to this point, all the people were Jewish. And now, non-Jews have a door open for them to be part of the kingdom. That includes us. Then Peter said, can anybody keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit as we have. I mean, the Holy Spirit is on them. Look, look at what's happened. I mean, I just wish, you know, wish we had a video camera there. I wonder what that looked like. But something was happening there that was visible, physically visible, that they could see Holy Spirit's touching these people big time. Who would have said they're not, that God doesn't want them to be baptized too? So they're baptized. He ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So now... Peter's living. And they, up to this point, they wouldn't even go to the home of a Gentile person. Peter goes and he stays with them. The walls of division between the ethnicities are broken down. Let me just, let me just say, well, I want to I say a couple things, but let me just start with that. First of all, the cross of Jesus destroys all racism. All racism is destroyed at the cross of Jesus. All barriers between ethnicities are broken down, and we stand with Jesus in that, that there is no them and us. Anybody who thinks that way is not welcome. Because we have all been made one in Christ. Okay? Okay. Here's some takeaways that I want to give you. Okay, you guys understand the story? Kind of a long story. There's a lot in there. I just want to give you some takeaways and then we're going to be done. First of all, God is at work in bigger ways than you can imagine. Salvation of God extends much further than you think. He had no idea what was happening with Cornelius. But Cornelius, Peter, Peter would never, never imagined. But God was doing something bigger. Here's what I want you guys to think about. That there are people that, who, who, whose lives 
God is working in that you think that they're beyond repair. God's working. And God is working in interesting ways, in ethnicities all over the world. Why don't you throw up that picture of Will with the Hadza guy? You guys know my brother-in-law, Will. He's taking, who's, going to, who's going to Africa with Will this summer? Wow. Okay. We got four people in here. Going, okay. Here's Will with the Hadza guy. And here's the amazing thing. So Will was telling me a couple weeks ago about their religious system. The Hadza people believe that God created the world and that when humanity got in trouble, that God sent his son to help them. That's all they got. They don't know got the full story. Is their story right? Yeah, it's right. I asked my sister about it today, and she said, well, the Hadza men all get together on full moon night, but the women aren't allowed. Okay, so obviously there's some, some things that aren't right, but there's a, but God is working in Hadza people's lives. So when Will comes in and says, well, let me tell you about that son, because I happen to know him, they listen. Okay? also want to tell you about, about the, in Japan. Japan, there are so many Japanese people who have a heart for truth because God is working in their lives. The ideas of purity and cleansing of sin are all over. Those of you that have been in Japan with me, you guys have seen that. Even the idea of, well, you know, you take your shoes off at the door. All that points back to Jesus. You guys know the story of Momotaro? Has anybody heard the story of Momotaro? Okay, you guys who have been in with me to Japan. Okay, Momotaro or a peach boy. Peach Boy doesn't do the deal justice. But here, here he is. This is Momotaro. Do you know the story of Momotaro? The story of Momotaro. Every Japanese knows it. They know it by heart. Mukashi aru tokoro ni ojii-san to Anyway, it goes on. And they all know it. Is, is Utah here? Where's Utah? Okay. Utah could quote it for you. Okay. Everybody knows it. It's a story about Jesus. Nobody knows that. It's a story about, about a, God providing a son to destroy the demons' works, the, de- demonic, the, the, the work of the demons. They don't know it's about Jesus. I don't think they wrote it about Jesus, but, Jesus but, but the Holy Spirit somehow is speaking through the story of Momotaro. Okay? Do you guys know who Shangdi is? Shangdi, has anybody heard that word in China? 2,000, 3,000 years before Jesus, the worship of the God of heaven was happening in China. And the, 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 the temple of heaven is still there in the Forbidden City, and they don't know what it's all about. It was, a, it was a temple to the God of Heaven. Amazing. Let me give you, let me give you um, an example of how God is working in people's lives. And I'm, not say, I'm not saying that all these, all these belief systems and all these things have it all right. I'm just saying that God is using his Holy Spirit in people in situations and cultures that that the average American, the average Christian would think, oh, that's not that's not Jesus' work. Let me just show an example, okay? Some of you guys have been in Japan have already seen this, but I just thought I should share it with you guys. Okay, the word for righteousness in Japanese, you know, remember Japanese is borrowed from Chinese. Are you guys interested in this? Okay, I got a few more minutes here. This this is the this is the word for for righteousness. If I ask Japanese people, hey, what does this word mean? They're kind of like, I'm not sure. And I said, why is it written like that? They're definitely not sure. But you guys want to know why, why it's written like that? Okay, this is the word for righteousness. And what this is made up of is, I'll, t- I'll do the bottom first, okay? This is, um, th- the bottom part is made up of two characters. One is hand and one is weapon. So you take hand and weapon and you put them together. I talked about this in our staff meeting, right? So you take hand and weapon and you put it together. And 
It means selfish me. Me. Okay? You understand? I protect myself with my hand. I protect myself with a weapon. It's me. Now, this part that's on the top, does anybody, can anybody guess what that looks like? It's a sheep. So the word for righteousness is a lamb over me. Is that cool or what? Now, do you, th- do you think that's coincidence? I mean, but yes, I, you know, I th- if you guys were interested, I'll show you more. Yes? Yeah, that's right. That, that I am righteous because of the lamb over me. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many characters. My point, guys, is that, that God is working in people who you might not imagine he's working. You think, oh, that's just, that's just those, those people don't know anything about Jesus. The calling of God is in those cultures. Okay, so first of all, God's work is way broader than what you guys imagine. Se- second, second thing, I want you guys, I think it's worth writing this down. God is working in the hearts of people who don't do religion your way. Okay, let me um, let me show you some. Let, just just play some clips of those videos. I want you guys to see people worshiping Jesus in very different ways. My tendency is to be judgmental when people don't do worship my way. Okay, you can stop that. Yeah, play another one. Did anybody grow up in that kind of church? Kind of? Okay. Okay. Were you able to, were you, did you worship Jesus in that church, in that kind of church? You didn't. Okay. But some people do. I mean, we've had, do you guys remember Joe Salim? He got all dressed up in his white Coptic robe and had the bells, and he was worshiping Jesus standing right here. Do you guys remember that? Some of you guys were here. I mean, he was worshiping Jesus. It's true worship. Just because it's not done my way, or just because I don't understand it, doesn't mean it's not worship. Okay. Play, play another one. Okay. Here's baptism. Have you guys seen this? Okay. I mean. Okay. Show, show, um, as, as far as baptism, hey. Okay. Go ahead and do, show another one. Show another one. Show another side one. Okay. Okay, guys, here, here's the point, and we can go on and on, and you guys have been in lots of different churches. You guys have been in lots of different churches that worship different ways. We must not, guys, I'm asking you people here at the Cornerstone, our community here at the Cornerstone, we must not think that people have to worship our way to worship rightly, okay? I mean, I wanted to show you, who's been, who, who, Yemi's been with me, who else has been with me in, in my tribe in the Philippines where I grew up? Okay, I mean, we got chickens crowing, and we got kids pooping, and we got people talk. I'm serious. I'm serious. And those all during the worship service. Okay? Guys, they don't have to worship our way to worship Jesus. Okay. Okay, third thing that I want you guys to, to pull out of this is we can't, uh, this goes right along with, maybe this is just saying the same thing. We can't insist that people be like us. 
when, when, the, when the awakening was happening in my tribe in the Philippines, and people were, you know, after 36 years of my parents working there, people started coming to the Lord. But I remember being there um, about 20, as, as the awakening was starting, and the Ogden people who were believers were telling me about the people, there was these new kind of Christians, but they were weird. They called them born again. And um, born again. And they said, I said, well, what's weird about them? They said, they clap and they raise their hands. <laughs> so I said, don't judge them. It's good. And I don't know if, if the Lord used it, but I was, if I hadn't said that, I'm afraid there, were, there, there could have been a rift between, among the, the believers there, from those people that were able to raise their hands and those who didn't raise their hands. So now they all raise their hands. Okay. I want you to think about, about Peter. When Peter, when, when, P, when Peter talked to these people and they, and they became believers, what do you think would have happened with the church if Peter said, you got to become Jews. You're welcome in the kingdom, but you have to be Jewish. I don't know what would have happened, but the church in Caesarea probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have started. It was the fact that they, those people were able to maintain their own culture doing worship the way that they felt comfortable, but honoring God at the same time. Okay, last thing that I want you guys to, to get, and then we're done, is back to the Jews. We talked about the Jews a little bit, a bit earlier. The Jews, here's a takeaway for you. The Jews were chosen by God, not because they were better than all the people in the world, but because God had a plan to bless the world through them. Likewise, the reason that we... You people in America have been chosen and blessed beyond belief is not because you're better than the rest of the world, but so that God could bless the world through us. Are you guys with me? That's why God, why has God blessed you? Oh, because I'm so good, because I studied really hard, because I worked really hard. Nope. God's blessed you so you could be blessed in the world. And there's people out there on this campus, who look to you like they're far away, who aren't very far away. And your, your, your existence is to bring glory to Jesus, first of all. And how do you bring glory to Jesus? First of all, by, by offering your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. Here I am, Lord. My life is yours. All my time, all my money, all my devotion. In any place that I don't love you enough, would you just teach me to love you? Teach me to love you more. And when, when, he, when we have that attitude, you know what? He uses, uses us in people like Cornelius' life. Because I'm convinced that there's people here on this campus who are ready to follow Jesus if you'll lead them. Are we going to lead them? Okay, let's just stand up and let's pray. And then as we finish praying, just remember, if you've got, if you've got specific prayer needs, we get, we're going to have a, a team of people upstairs praying. You guys can go up there to the prayer room after we're done, and there will be people who are ready to pray for you. Okay? Let's, let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we're just so thankful for what you did in Cornelius' life and that you did the same thing in our lives, that when we were far away from you, that you brought somebody close by who told us the message of truth so that we could know you. And so, Lord, here we are as people who want to know you more, offering our lives as holy sacrifices to you, set apart for your purposes. We don't cleanse ourselves, but we put our hope in you, and you've cleansed us. You've forgiven our sins. And so, Lord, as we, as we're 
out of here tonight and as we go to Turner Falls tomorrow and all the things that we're doing this week and all the things that we're doing this summer, we're just asking for your blessing, especially on Sam, Lord, as she gets married next week, her last time at the merge here, and then off to Mississippi with Josh and just asking for your grace on her life that she would be even more powerful there living for you than she's been here, that they'd be higher up and further in her relationship with you and that you bless their marriage. And of all the people that are going different places this summer, that every place that the people at the Cornerstone would go would be uh, uh, a place that they carry the aroma of Christ and that people's lives would be changed because of the people in this room. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.